0: fresh economic thinking podcast new ideas and analysis with dr cameron murray and jonathan gadir hi cameron how are you doing
1: good thanks jonathan nice
0: to be back with you A bit early in the morning but let's see if we can wake ourselves up with some stimulating discussion um, so i saw this headline the grandchildren of Omicron have landed in Australia. What does it mean for Christmas? A variant soup of COVID strains has arrived. I wanted to raise this with you because, well, I guess, to be, be honest, it is one of the issues that um, obsesses me because of the trauma of the last two years and of you know, made me do things like join the New South Wales Council for Civil Liberties where I'm now on the executive committee. So, you know, it's sort of an important thing for me. But um, I, I know that you actually have taken an interest in certain aspects of this from a sort of a data perspective. And you did some freedom of information requests. Can you fill us in on that?
1: For those who followed me for a while, you know that I've been very outspoken about the COVID panic and policy response since we started, because the basic health economics and the pandemic plans we had said, don't panic, keep the economy and society functioning as best you can, because that's what allows us to to treat people well, to provide high levels of care, to reduce stress and anxiety, uh, and to make sure we don't Uh, inadvertently introduce other health costs in our response by focusing on this one. So I've been very outspoken. I was on Q&A last year explaining all this. Um, I've been published in the press. So I've taken a strong interest. And one of the um, things I've taken an interest in uh, is that Australia had introduced a compensation scheme for injuries for the COVID vaccine in december 2021 they did this not because vaccine not because it's rare and uh, it's because it's actually it exists it's real and people were genuinely injured and what i found puzzling is how few people know about this and how little interest is there is in looking at the data so i put a freedom of information request into the health department and said how many people are there how many applied for this scheme if it's very low I would like to know like surely if we think the vaccines are all that they were promised then there should be this should be a wasted um system right there should be no one there and what I found when they responded was that in the first eight months so December to July inclusive That's up to July 2022. There were 2,622 claims, only 29 approved, 139 denied. And to to get a claim, you must have uh, received the COVID vaccine, been admitted to hospital as an inpatient because of the harm you suffered, and have losses or expenses of $1,000 or more. Excluding okay. pain and suffering. So it's quite a high buy. You had to be admitted to a hospital and spend $1,000 yeah. um, of expenses. It's not just like, oh, I got to, you know, if you go to the emergency department at a public hospital, you know, you might not get admitted and you might not spend anything. Well, can you mean, be admitted
0: to a hospital, but it doesn't cost you a thousand, so you're not counted? Well, uh,
1: we'll, we'll see. Uh, like these are the, these are the things we don't know. Um, I, I suspect it's an ore condition, right? Okay, right. Although the way it's worded doesn't seem like an ore condition. So we will see. We will okay. see. Yeah. But this is quite substantial, right? So we had the Pink Bats home insulation scheme a, f- a while back. Remember the stimulus uh, after the financial crisis? I think it was the Labor Party subsidised people to insulate their ceiling, and we had, I think, five Deaths by electrocution of people installing pink bats, and we had a royal commission. We had a royal commission into that because of the policy. Here we've got nearly three thousand people claiming injury. Uh, of course, and you know, if there are any deaths, they're not included. And yet, the media doesn't want to know about it. I've seen one article since December 2020. Someone put an FOI in a few months after that. There was one article on news.com and it was ignored by everyone else. And so it's taken me, this quirky economist writer who has an interest in health policy, to go and do this and report it. And yet, if these were 2,600 hospitalisations for COVID instead of the COVID vaccine, wouldn't this be the biggest news story going? So I find it completely bizarre the the uh, attention the disproportionate attention we have uh to genuine harms when they're not called covid. It's puzzles.
0: and devil's advocate here is there a justification theoretically because oh like long covid affects so many more people like there's lots of articles on things like that long covid type stuff um and you know this is like a really small number of people in comparison is that a justification that would be like a well
1: that's that's a story that's certainly a story the long COVID evidence is pretty thin compared to the media reporting of that and also so uh, recent studies have come out from Israel looking at uh, patients admitted um, after having COVID and uh, for any reason and not having COVID and looking at the evidence of sort of myocarditis and pericarditis the inflammation of the heart and they found no difference between the hundreds of thousands of patients that they tested who had COVID and the hundreds of thousands that they tested that didn't have COVID uh, in the previous months being admitted to hospital. Um, so the suggestion there is that, well, you know, COVID is not it's probably if you read the media, your understanding of the long term risks is not uh in proportion to whether to to if you read the academic medical articles on it so so that's one story but i haven't seen or read evidence and i'm certainly interested in it i don't read the news for evidence i read the the academic papers that come out so look it just seems out of proportion to me
0: mm. And like Norman Swan, the ABC's health reporter, uh, had his graveyard voice on this morning talking about how we all should start being worried again, because it's very important that I be worried, you know, that's going to make all the difference. And because because there's, you know, this COVID wave coming and that all these people that, you know, should have had fourth and fifth doses of the vaccine haven't had it. And this is worrying and that people are not doing mask wearing, which is also worrying, apparently. And, um. We should all be trying to avoid getting it which is strange to me because i have no understanding of how what we're supposed to do to avoid getting it this no it doesn't seem to be a real world um, statement um so but i'd like to point out that you you're talking about a silence here on this particular type of harm that you are interested in so there's uh, it's interesting that there's a pattern where outlets like the abc and the quality media have kind of picked a side and that side is like the side of let's say institutions and and that's sort of where their audience is it's like people who are in academia professions public service um, ngos you know human and social science professions and all the people that aspire to be or, or or identify with this group of people and very quickly there's been a sort of a the 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 covid pandemic has been an opportunity to quickly sort of have this solidarity with other experts in whether that's subconscious or or not. And um, I guess the the catch is that the experts quite often have their own biases and their own Mm -hmm. extremely obvious vested interests, professional, personal, and other vested interests for you know, advancing, you know, arguments in one way or another. But we talk about things as though everyone else has bias, but the expert class (laughs) doesn't. Look,
1: I've noticed, of course, I've noticed that too, Jonathan. Um, Look, if you try and talk about this, you will get shut down on social media. I, I, you know, I put up uh, a link to one of those vaccine injury stories from a young Australian and people just said, you're, you know, you, you go, you know, this is all bullshit. You're going up, don't, don't go down this road, Cameron. You know, what are you thinking? I'm like, this guy is paralyzed because of the vaccine. If this was, you know, a liberal party policy to do something and someone got paralyzed from it, you would all be saying how nasty and evil it was, you know, it was SCOMO or Tony Abbott was, right? If yeah. one guy got paralyzed and here we are just because the tribes are different, your tribe, you're being loyalty. loyal to, you just can't accept one fact. <laughs> um, so I, it's totally been true. And, and there's been very little, I find the journalists very poor here because all those experts have been wrong. You know, I got I got shut down on national TV for saying, you know, the vaccines aren't as great as we think, and we shouldn't rush to vaccinate children. The evidence doesn't seem to be there. I got told, you're not an economist, you're an idiot, this and this. Why are you going against the experts? And now, of course, you know, the CEO of Pfizer had four vaccines and then got COVID, and most countries now aren't recommending COVID vaccines for children. Because of the risk, the risk is disproportionate. So I had it right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was the idiot. And the journalists are still asking all those wrong people who who aren't trained to let go of their sort of groupishness and their social attachments to saying the right thing and looking good in the eyes of other experts, um, you know, and it, so they just keep going back to those groups rather than this huge group of independent people out there who have been able to just look at the facts including of course the top-sided living human scientist and epidemiologist John Ioannidis. right the the expert of all the experts was shut down because he didn't go with the crowd he said you know what the infection fatality rates lower than you think we should keep the economy open the masks aren't very useful we should just follow the plans we had and he was He had hit pieces written about him. So it's definitely true that that's the case. Can I just quote some of the data that came out from the ABS recently? Oh, this excess
0: testing is so intriguing. Yeah,
1: go on. And let me quote you from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. And I quote, In 2022, there were 111,008 deaths that occurred by 31st of July and were registered by 30th of September which is 16,375 or 17.3% more than the historical average, end quote. 16,375 just in the first seven months of this year, extra deaths, almost all predominantly not related to COVID, and yet very little, very little reporting about this, right? And
0: very not just Australia. Report. This excess deaths mystery is in like lots of countries.
1: That's that's the other thing. That's the other thing that's true. In the um, the US has had over sixteen thousand excess deaths just in people aged under twenty four years since the middle of last year. The UK is running at about fifteen percent higher than normal, as are many countries in Europe. So this is this huge 2022 rise in people just dying from everything. Um, Cancer, dementia, diabetes related were the most elevated, but it's just across the board. And with my economics hat on, I think... It it should be even more puzzling because when we were worried about COVID deaths, the average age of a COVID death was three years more than the average age of a death from any other cause. Right. So the life. So so, it's it's true to say that the life the average person who died from COVID lived longer than the average person who didn't. Yep. It's true to say that now. Yes, it's a bit of a statistical trick the way I say it, but it's true um and yet these excess deaths across all age groups are being ignored and of course if we are thinking in cost of life terms if you die when you're 85 you're only expected to live a few more years right on average and in many cases very little time at all but if you are under age 30 which is um where we're seeing a lot of excess deaths in the u.s 16,000 under the age of 24 Okay, you're expected to live another 70 years, 60 or 70 years, these people. So every death is like 35, 25 to 35 times more life lost from a human when they die prematurely than when an 80-something-year-old dies prematurely from COVID rather than the next thing that would kill them. So these numbers are much more staggering in pure, raw human and economic and life well being terms, however you want to measure it, than anything that COVID had. And yet, this essentially complete silence this year, and no one seems to care. We're still panning about COVID at Christmas time and not about this thing. Mm-hmm. this whatever it is, rise and deaths across all causes.
0: One theory is it's the vaccines. <laughs> Another theory is people have basically neglected every other problem. In their health, they haven't done checkups. They've been prevented from getting checkups for like it's been too hard to go and get checked up on various things, or well, they've been afraid to. But often it's been a matter of policy, like mm. oh we don't, you don't want we don't want you to come in, we don't want you blah blah blah, and yeah. things have been missed.
1: That's that's right, and I mean people themselves are obviously not worried about other things when they're focused on COVID. So they're like oh I've got this weird stomach thing. Ah uh, well COVID's you know. It just doesn't seem like something you should worry about and get checked out. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's a combination of lots of stuff. One is pure catching up. For example, if you ho- close a hospital in a town for a few months, fewer people will die in those months because hospital treatments are risky. We take those risks in the hoping of extending life in the future. So shutting and de- like delaying treatments that have risks will temporarily reduce the number of people dying, but those people then die from the thing that they were trying to prevent from taking that risk. So there's a little bit of catch-up. If you look in the UK, you can see that. So there's some data that's come out from the NHS about the waiting period for heart disease tests and treatments. And prior to the COVID, there were a 1,000 people who'd been waiting a year, over a year, for some kind of heart treatment now there are over six thousand people who've been waiting for more than a year in the uk for a heart treatment so that's six times as many people sitting around with with heart issues waiting for some kind of treatment that could make them live longer and of course that's all the result of the disruption to the health system from people being locked down from hospitals being closed from uh, disruption to staffing, from vaccines and other things, travel restrictions, um, closed borders, and the lack of supplies. So it's just it's amazing um, that this was all known in advance. This was in the pandemic plans. <laughs> yeah. Now we're seeing the fallout. It's got a massive, massive human cost in terms of people dying prematurely no one seems to want to be talking about it. And when you do, you get shut down. Mm. But if you panic about COVID during Christmas in the middle of an Australian summer, oh, that's a sensible thing to write a news article about and get people worried about. Mm. So really, yeah, it's doing my head in. I don't know about you, Jono. Mm.
0: Um, There's a related thing that was doing my head in while I was in Thailand. And that was mask wearing, which is, see, so the government in Thailand told everyone that it was no longer required it was now voluntary right no one stopped wearing it and I'm talking about a country where there is compliance of 99.99 percent both indoors and outdoors and for children right and you and I have seen just what I guess I mean some of it some of my fury is rational and some of it's less rational but let's just say I've been disturbed by seeing little kids, three years old, four years old, five years old, with these masks on. And I was in a fairly rural area, so there's a lot of space. (laughs) People are not close together. And I was in, I just, I had great photos. I had, that I could have taken, but it would have been too embarrassing and confusing to to ask people to take the photo. I was in a library with no one like because the university library was empty because it was holiday period. And there was this one guy by himself in this vast space in one of the sofas, reading a book, wearing a mask. The most common sight outdoors was people riding motorbikes on dangerous highways with no helmets, in shorts and sandals, and with a mask. No, <laughs> That's not like, oh, sometimes I see it. No, I see that like a thousand times a day. Like everyone oh is goodness. doing that. Um, oh my goodness. And I think the ties, they, it's no longer a medical thing. like they know that it's like not about that anymore. It's just a fear of being told by someone in authority. And, you know, this is obviously a cultural thing, a fear of being told by someone in authority that they're a wrongdoer, a fear of being called out, a fear of, like, standing out, of being different, of you know, being disapproved of, of um, being told that they're selfish. You know, that's a really – that's something they, they're they avoiding. And, you know, occasionally in Thai social media I've been told various figures in culture and society have sort of said, hey – um." When, when are we going to stop wearing the masks like the rest of, well, like, like the Western countries? And um, there's no real answer because no. employers haven't lifted the requirement, even though the government said, you know, you it's voluntary now. And, well, like what bothers me? Okay, what bothers me is in a few years from now, it's like absolutely, as far as I'm concerned, 100% certain, but let's see, that in a few years from now there'll be child development psychology whatever papers coming out saying we've developmentally destroyed a generation of kids because we have masked them this is in obviously in countries where this is happening because we've masked them at crucial ages where like essentially now we've conditioned they've conditioned their young people to cover their faces everywhere except the home and you can't yeah. convince me there's no effect on it. Well, I've had disagreements and arguments with foreigners who wow. live in Thailand who have said, no, there's no difference. There's no harm. There's no problem. I there's don't... no harm. Why weren't you doing it before? Yeah. <laughs> it's just free. Um, free benefits. <laughs> and I think some wow. of the thing that irritates me is the conformism thing, you know, like the yeah. conformism thing resulted in my ancestors being yeah. killed oh. on mass in Europe right so I don't like excessively irrational conformism and that um it sort of really gets under my skin like especially when I see Westerners who behave differently in their home country being very fastidious about mask wearing in completely stupid situations just because oh. everyone else around them's doing it
1: look uh, it's funny because I, I have a Japanese friend who told me that the same situation is happening there, that they the, the masks were over in terms of policy, but no one would stop wearing them. And the Prime Minister has to keep coming out without a mask and telling people it's fine, but no one wants to stop. Um, it's just this social conformity thing is so high. And and just to wrap up, there was, there was one more thing that comes to mind about closing schools and the costs. To, uh, of lost education and socialization and if you remember it was a big thing closing schools and especially in the united states um, and everyone said it would be fine soon would be fine and now all the research is coming out that it is not fine uh, that it's very hard for students to catch up and learn and that we've got we've essentially wasted years of people's lives not educating them Um, there's essentially zero learning gain in those COVID lockdown periods uh, in children. So that's another real cost that we're going to see. And yet the the crowd, the elite, were very confident with their stories that it would be worth it, that we'd lock down schools and no one would get COVID and there'd be no education losses. And yet here we are, um, two years later, seeing all the predictable outcomes from excess deaths to hospital waiting times for other things from education losses and that, you know, the vaccines weren't as good as we thought. Um, and yet, as, as you said, the conformity, the respect for the elites, no matter what still continues.
0: So I guess we could subtitle this episode and no one seems to care with a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so let me leave you with this, John If we had acted differently and followed our pandemic plans when COVID happened, we didn't close schools, we didn't lock down, we treated this as a bad flu season, how would 2022 be different? Would we have inflation? Would we have this backlog of healthcare? We wouldn't have had the education losses. So that's what I'm going to write about more in the coming months when journalists don't seem to want to do it.
0: Well, thanks very much for for this week. Great discussion and look forward to talking again next week.
1: For sure. Good to talk, Jonathan.